last week when I had a a very difficult funeral, and God, I'm very. had a, a sweet service of testimony. So I want you to take your Bible and turn to the Old Testament. I won't take. And it kind of started. We didn't know what we were in for. And the chapter spoke to me deeply, just personally. And then later on, I went back and visited it and then made some notes and kind of outlined it. And I, I feel like maybe I ought to preach on that if this thing continues. And so I want to do that again. When I was five years old, we uh, moved from our house on uh, 8th Street. Now it's trying to Boulevard when they put the interstate in they changed the route but it was 8th street then 701 8th street little house on the corner it's kind of a baby blue probably Over that is uh, Marguerite Drive. And we lived there from the time that I was five, in fact, until mom and dad moved to where, um, until she passed away. And uh, right when I was five, they put an air conditioner there. It was a relatively new home. And they poured a slab of concrete uh, there to put the unit on, on the north side of the house. And so when the uh, cement was wet, and I still remember this, uh, I'm sure this was mom's idea, not dad's, because daddies don't think like this. She took uh, Melanie and I out there, and she had us to put our, our handprints in that. And then she wrote, uh, of course, Rick, but it was funny because she never called. I guess she did when she was little. But Melly was three years old. She put Melly, M-E-L-L-Y. And so, yeah, there it is right there. And there you see it's got a lot of, uh, uh, what is that, mold and stuff. And uh, But then I don't know if you have another picture, Daniel. But if you get closer, yeah. Uh, you see the little handprint on the bottom left there? And then uh, that's mine. And then it says Rick. And the next one has Melanie's. And they really cleaned hers up. See, yeah, and it's they got it all cleaned up. I knew, I just said, I know they will want to see that. My daughter April went over there uh, several years ago, and she took a picture of that. Uh, I would drive by there, show the kids a house. And one day she just went over there by herself, and she took a picture of that. 
Now, I'm telling you that little story for a reason. Because there's people, I don't know, after they sold the house, there's been a number of people that have lived there. I don't know how many. But um, as long as... in stone as, as in something in concrete and I think that what happens is especially if you've grown up in church that someone teaches you how to have a, a time alone with the Lord and, and it's better
Secondly, you cultivate your walk with God. God is. You remember what He's done for you. You don't just open a passage up and read it. That's better than nothing. But throughout the day, what do you do? You're, you're obeying God. He will prompt you. The passage you read, what is God telling me to do today? Even this passage I'm reading, God spoke to me about some things in it, and then He told me some things about the church. I, I think the church needs this. You, you need to share this with them. That's a matter of obedience. And then he says, and thou shalt remember, Moses is saying, when you walk with God, there's some things you need to remember. This is not just a dull religious thing. I want you to think, not just in the morning or evening when you have your time with the Lord, but through the day, remember who he is and what he's done for you. Remember his guidance. Thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness. The wilderness there is a picture of trials. He says, while you're going through adversity, he says, remember how God guided you, how he led you. And, and listen, this is biblical. This is part of your walk with God. It's not just, again, just a little five-minute thing. This is cultivating your walk with the Lord. What do you remember? You remember, okay, God, I remember. You write these things down and get a little notebook and write down, how has God led me in the past? How's he leading me in the present? And then later on. That's what we. would us keep his commandments or no he says wilderness he said a lot The, these four I'll never deny you. Well, he's going to have tests, isn't he? And, and he failed the test. And we fail tests. Sometimes we fail the test.
Pride is a barrier to all spiritual progress. Pride is a barrier. Walk with God, you've got to deal with your pride. And that's all of us. So this is the dynamic. God wants in your in your wilderness, God is testing you. He's proving you to deal with your pride. Pride gets angry and asks why. Humility submits and asks what? As long as you keep saying why. Why is this happening? And I know there, we all do that, and, and there's a sense when you're in grief you do that. But once you keep doing that, it's a matter of pride. Because the truth is, somebody asked me recently about that that was really going through a hard time. I said, well, I'll be really honest with you. I said, I have no idea. And I said, you know, something helped me here. God keeps on saying what happens is out of that comes bitterness and comparison. You look at other people, fairness. God is not fair, He's just. You begin to, well, this they got this and they got this. I don't have this. And it's just a root of pride. Humility asks what? What what can I learn from this? And you know what happens with that kind of a spirit is there's growth. There's not bitterness, there's not anger, there's humility. There's a teachable spirit. What can I learn through this suffering? Now, here, here's why we have here's why pride surfaces in your wilderness, in your trial. And here here's the basic idea here is when you suffer, and there's a lot of suffering, not just physical suffering, emotional suffering, and so forth. You're rejected, a bunch of things. Listen. You lose control. Well, I'm leaving you. Well, you can't leave. The kids are here. I'm leaving. You're out of control. Well, here's your pink slip. You're gone. Well, I've worked here for 24 years. Next year, I'm eligible for retirement. You're gone. And you're out of control. And And you're in a wilderness experience. And you get angry. And you say, why? And bitterness comes and you're not learning anything. I'm not saying it doesn't hurt. Please understand. But you don't learn anything. You don't become a better person. And you submit. You submit to God and say, God, I know you'll take care of me. But what am I supposed to learn right now in this wilderness experience? Because when I lose my independence, it it makes me humble. When I begin to depend upon God, and I realize I don't have all the answers, and I'm not as big as I thought I was, and I'm not as good or fast as I thought I was, or as healthy as I thought I was, and I need people. Richard Sibbs, who's a very quotable man, I love a lot of his quotes, he said this, Poverty and affliction take away the fuel that feeds pride. Poverty and affliction takes away the fuel that feeds pride. What is the fuel that feeds pride? It's self. And self is always independent. I don't need you. In fact, what do people say sometimes about successful people? He is a self-made man. There's no such thing. We always stand on the shoulders of other people. I've told you this before, that if you're succeeding, it's because of somebody that sacrificed before you. And if you're sacrificing, it's so that someone ahead of you can can succeed. And the truth is, we're always sacrificing. Hopefully, if you're decent and and you're living a Christian life, you're sacrificing so that the people behind you can succeed with seeds that you have sown that you will never see blossom. 
But if you're enjoying some success in life, it's because some other people before you paid the price. And you ought to be grateful for those people in your family and in other realms. We owe them. Our forefathers, a lot of the foolishness that's going on today, we're indebted to these people. You just can't cut this off and not realize it. We owe people for things. Many of these people have laid their life down for us. But it takes a wilderness. It takes a wilderness. It punches us in the gut and it gets our attention. All of a sudden, okay, God, you have my attention. I'm mad at you. He says, okay, I want to teach you something. And I want to deal with your pride. But if you keep saying, well, why, 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 you'll get bitter. But when you say, okay, God, what? And you submit to him, you begin to learn. Now, I want you to look at Deuteronomy chapter 8. You're in there. Look at verse 10. I want to show you a little section here and show you an illustration of this. This is the same chapter. He kind of hits the same spot again. Deuteronomy 8.10. And he's speaking to the people. When thou hast eaten, when they go into this new land and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. Be thankful when you eat the good fruit there. Beware. That thou forget not. Now, what are we talking about? We're talking about in your walk with God, use your memory. The opposite of that is forgetting. Don't forget. Forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments. There's the obedience. You see, he's, he's hitting these themes again. In his judgments, in his statutes, which I command thee this day. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full, and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein. You become successful. And thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied. Then thine heart be lifted up, and you get proud. And I think that's, that's what happens to America. We think we did it. God says, well, I'll show you. You ever notice it says in Second Chronicles 7, If my people which are called by my name, you know what the first thing is? You'll humble themselves. And do you know what it says there in that same passage? God says, well, I'll send affliction your way. And thine heart be lifted up, and now forget... There it is again, the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Remember, remember where you were, who led thee. See, remember how God led you through that great and terrible wilderness, wherein were fiery serpents, scorpions, and drought, where there was no water, who brought thee forth water out of the rock of Flint. Remember these things. Who fed thee, remember when he fed thee in the wilderness with manna which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, that he might prove thee. He's testing you. I like this, to do thee good at the latter end, he says. And thou say in thine heart, because this is where pride always starts in your heart, my power. No, no, this is not you, this is God. But here's what you say because you think you did it. My power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this well. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is He, it is He that giveth thee power to get wealth. And God says, I, I will allow you to go through suffering so that you will remember that. Affliction will humble you like nothing else to get your attention. There was, hey, Paula, I left my water out in the console. I, I need it. I got a real tickle. I'm fixing to cough up a storm. Or do you have one right there? Yeah, can I have it? Do you have COVID? <laughs> Thank you. Mm. Oh, I have fever now. There was a great king. I know I do that at home too. I'm so silly. It's a wonder she puts up with me. There's a great king in the Old Testament named uh, Manasseh. 
And uh, he became arrogant, and uh, God uh, turned him over in the nation when he was leading Israel to the Syrians. And when they captured the nation, they captured Manasseh, but they didn't kill him. They, they put him in prison, and they tortured him. And notice what the Bible says about this godly king who became arrogant. Second Chronicles thirty three twelve. And when he, that's King Manasseh, was in affliction, watch this. When he was in affliction, when he was hurting, when he lost some things, he besought the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. I have underlined, he humbled himself greatly. You know when he humbled himself greatly? When he was in affliction. There's a corollary there. God will prove you in your wilderness. And he's going he's to deal with your pride. He's going to deal with my pride. So, so next time you go through suffering, you go through pain, you go through reversal, you go through loss. Don't sit there in, in a pity party and say, well, just, just why me? Why me? And say, okay, uh, Lord, What? What, what am I supposed to learn from this? There have been uh, several occasions in the last uh, seven or eight years when we've gone to some different places where I will have to uh, walk. We'll be walking all day long. Amusement park or something like that. We're, we're in a big shopping crowded area. And I'll have to... Uh, I, I never get it, but it's a good thing I did. But Paula, you know, up to Dollywood, other place, get me a, 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 a wheelchair, okay. And sometimes I get one of those little powered kind, but sometimes it's just a pushing kind. And it, it is, I hate it. I just hate it. Because I, I am dependent upon my kids to push me. I was looking at some old pictures the other day. And uh, Jake and, and Ashley and Zach, you know, they have to take turns push me. I weigh about 180, and that's, that's just a hard, that's a really hard thing, a really hard thing to do, to push me around. And I was telling a friend of mine that. I said, you know, when you have limitations like that, and, and you're the father Part of it's your man. I, I can do this. And then all of a sudden, now, now sit in the chair. We're going to push you. And the truth is, my mind, my mind tells me they're right. And, and if you walk, they're going to have to wait on you. And in fact, if you walk, you're not going to make it. It is hot. And you're going to get worn out. And you're going to be miserable. And, and you're, you can't go. You can't do this. So you can either you can either pout about it or you can just sit in the chair and just shut up and just be thankful that you have your family. And yet there's still a part of you that says, I hope they're I hope they're not upset about this. I hope they're not angry with me. Because when you have these limitations and people are having it's hard on the caregivers. But not just physically, but but what they're having to do. But when you're a patient, it's hard on them sometimes because they're thinking, man, I, I wish that I didn't have to be the recipient all the time. I wish that I could contribute. The longer we resist learning the lesson and, and then repenting of our pride, the more often we're going to have to take the test. Well, I don't like tests. Well, you're going to keep taking that pride test. You're going to stay in the wilderness until you, until you stop asking why. And you say, okay, what? What am I supposed to learn through this? And maybe, maybe it'll be a lifelong test because you're like me, you're a slow learner. And the Lord's just going to keep you close to him that way. Three times in the Bible, this phrase is used, humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. Now, it's used in other ways. I'll show you in a moment. But three times explicitly, it says, humble yourselves. The most foolish prayer you can ever pray is, God, humble me. You want him to do that? 
Jerry Falwell used to say, God will humble you, but he, he won't humiliate you. Well, the Bible never says God humble. He says humble yourself. You've got a lot to be humble about. Let me tell you something. God loves humility. You know why God loves humility? Because he's humble. He loves you. He wants to spend time with you. He became a man, limited himself to time, space, and manner. The Lord Jesus Christ, he humbled himself. He came to Bethlehem, was born in a manger, not as a king, to simple parents, not to royalty. He hum- God loves humility. God resists the proud, and so do people. God loves humility, and so do people. When will we ever learn this? And God sends these trials. It's one of the best things that we could ever have in our life, to go through trials, to make us better people, to make us better Christians. So in your, in your wilderness, God is proving you. He's testing you. Life Action put out some good stuff, and these are some evidences of pride. I'm not going to read all of them to you, but, but just go through this. Ask yourself something. These are good. I just highlighted a couple of them. Evidences of pride. Do you look down on those who are less educated, less affluent, less refined, or less successful than yourself? Do you think of yourself as more spiritual than your spouse, others, in your church? Do you have a judgmental spirit towards those who don't make the same lifestyle choices you do? The same dress standards, how you school your kids, the same entertainment standards? This is pride. Are you quick to find fault with others and to verbalize those thoughts to others? And really, it starts here. It's all in your heart. You need to guard your heart. Do you have a sharp, critical tongue? Are you driven to receive approval, praise, or acceptance from others? Are you argumentative? Do you have a hard time admitting when you're wrong? Do you have a hard time sharing your real spiritual needs and struggles with other people? Are you a perfectionist? Do you get irked or impatient with people who aren't? Do you tend to be controlling of your mate, your children, friends, or those in your workplace? Do you frequently interrupt people when they're speaking? Do you talk about yourself too much? Are you more concerned about your problems, your needs, your burdens than about others' concerns? Do you worry about what others think of you? Are you too concerned about your reputation or your family's reputation? Do you get hurt if your accomplishments, acts of service are not recognized or rewarded? And there's others there. These are... These are things all of us experience. And these, these, this is the fruit of the root of pride. You can't just say, well, I'll stop that. You don't stop the behavior. You have to deal with the pride. And when you go through the wilderness, God is, is proving. He's testing us to show us that we have pride. And he wants the adversity to begin the death of our pride. And say, God, I'm not in control anymore. I can't even control having a job. I feel so impotent. I feel insignificant. I can't even control my children. I can't control fill in the blank. You have to yield that to God. Say, God, this belongs to you. Give you a verse, First Peter chapter five, verses five and six. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject. Notice these these humility, subjection, submission verses uh, words. Be subject one to another. Be clothed with humility. That means it's evidence in your life. For God resists the proud. You don't want God against you. But he gives grace to the humble. You see, when you're humble, you're a candidate for grace. And when you have the grace of God, you can go.
that Joseph here. of his story, but if you would have asked Joseph in the first 13 years, uh, that he not the first 13 years of his life, but that 13-year period when he went through terrible suffering, physical suffering, the Bible talks in Acts about how they laid in Psalms, they laid his feet in fetters and irons, and he went through physical suffering, he went through emotional suffering, he was rejected by his brothers, he was falsely accused. And he was put into prison. So many things. He went through all of this. And uh, you would have come to him and said, Joseph, you're, you're such a godly man. I wonder how often he would have said, oh, well, you know, I, I know God's working. And yet it says of him over and over in, in the book of Genesis that God was with him. That God was with him. Surely there were times that he, he cried out and said, God, where are you? But God was with him. And the end of his story is a beautiful story. But here, here's the thing. He was a great leader, the second most powerful person on the planet. But he needed to learn to be a servant before he could become a leader. And he was an older man before he, he got to do that. He was actually 30 years old. There's a kind of a picture of Christ there. He was 30 years old before he really began his, quote, ministry. I remember uh, Steve Farrar, who writes books for men, uh, an excellent writer. He said, he said, I have one piece of advice for, for writers. He said, don't, don't, write a, don't write a book until you're over 40. He said, because you'll change stuff. Remember when God was preparing his heart for a mission for the last 40 years of his life. But see, you don't have the patience for that. You don't have the patience to go through your desert so that God can make you a vessel. You know, why should I get angry with God for some things he's put me through so that I could help people when I'm 62? Well, that's not fair. Nobody's just. Why should I get angry with God about that? Because those are the ways of God. That's why I, I tell young pastors, I said, you need to have older preachers in your church. It's not that they know more than you, but that they have more wisdom than you do. And those of you that are new in our church, you don't, you don't know this, but when I was a young pastor, I had enough sense that I had a lot of older preachers in this church from day one. Because I wanted our people to hear a voice that I didn't have. And they helped us. They helped me a lot. Privately. But they helped our folks a lot. There's a, a book I read uh, last year. year and a half ago that really helped me. Uh, I always read something on the topic of suffering. And uh, I have for the last four or five years. And uh, there are a couple of authors that I've really profited from. Probably one of the best two books I read uh, last year was one was called Suffering. It's the title of it by Paul Tripp. It's not a real big book, but it's very powerful. Paul Tripp, anything he writes is good. But he he was a good preacher, excellent writer and so forth. And then he had some some kidney failure. And he became very sick. He thought he was going to die. He had all kinds of th surgeries. 
And he, he, he opens the book with, with his pain, his physical pain. And I want to read to you just about, um, about three, about two paragraphs about a segment from this book that so rang true with me. Maybe it will help you. But he's just bearing his heart that, that only a person that has suffered would say these things. Now listen to what Tripp said. Paul Tripp said, Our suffering is more powerfully shaped by what is in our heart than what is in our body or the world around us. I went into my sickness with my theology in the right place. And I did believe that I lived in a groaning world crying out for redemption. But it was battling with something else inside me. Now listen to this. This was this wilderness, this, this sickness. There was this expectation that I would always be as I had been. I remember telling Paula and, and very close friends, I, I don't know that I've told you this publicly, but one of the struggles that I've had, Karen probably gone through this in her work with patients. One of the struggles you have is, is I still remember what I used to do. And I still hope that, well, maybe I can get back to that. And that gap is still there. And then, and then if you want to call it depression or discouragement comes when the moments come, say, I'm never going to get back there. And then my mind will say, well, maybe I can. And you keep going back and forth. So here's what he says. He says, there was this expectation that I would always be as I had been. That is, that I would always be strong and healthy. There was little room in my life, family, and ministry plans for weakness within or trouble without. So when I realized I was very ill and that weakness and fatigue would be with me for the rest of my life, the blow was not just physical but emotional and spiritual as well. Honestly, I didn't suffer just physical pain, but also the even more profound pain of the death of my delusion of invincibility and the pride of productivity. That is a very powerful statement. It's a very powerful truth because it's true. And that goes back to control. Um, a friend of mine asked me to, to do some writing for him on, on, on a website. And uh, sometimes he'll ask me to, to do some writing for him for some books. And there have been times that I can't. I said, I just can't write. I can't. I can't. I become so upset, and I think God is upset.
always be successful according to the world's definition of success or your definition of success because he wants you, he's pursuing a personal relationship with you. He wants to deepen that relationship. You've just been going through the motions and he wants to cultivate that relationship deeper with you. And thou shalt remember, thou shalt remember these wilderness days to humble thee and to prove thee. So I'm going to test you and I'm going to test you in the wilderness. But I'm going to test you to cultivate humility. But this has got to be the death of pride. This has got to be a death to your pride. That means you're going to have to you're going to have to give up control. In due time, the Bible says in First Peter five. In due time, He will exalt you. In due time, in His time, when He sees that it's time. In due time. So, in closing, I have a lot more for you, but I'm going to close now. What is it this morning that you you are clinging to that you're really struggling with? And it may be something that's been going on for 20 years or maybe for 20 days that you're just angry about or bitter about something that happened. And you need to release it. And say, God, I caused this, or maybe I didn't. I didn't even have anything to do with this, or maybe I did, but I, I, I didn't have the bulk of it. And I'm just really sorry. I, I want to stop asking why, and today I want to start asking what. What do you want to teach me? And Lord, help me to keep my mouth shut, and help me to open my ears and start talking to me. And give me a quiet spirit and humble me. And give me a meek spirit. And change, as, as the chorus says that we sing, change my heart, oh God. And, and things like this, church, this only happens in the wilderness. In your wilderness. Let's bow our heads, okay? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Would you just talk to God right there where you sit and uh, ask Him what He needs to change in your life? Is there something you need to give to Him? Is there an area that you've tried to control? Is there something that you're upset about, something you're angry about? Would you give it to Him? Our Heavenly Father, all of us struggle with pride. The people in our home see it most. Our husband, wife, they see it most. Our parents, our children, brothers and sisters, they see it because we spend time with them most. Sometimes our friends and co-workers see it. But Lord, you see it more often than anybody. And Lord, it's such a root there it's a mother of all sins i pray that you would help us today to not waste the trial that we're experiencing the wilderness i pray for my brothers and sisters that are here that may be going through a time of uh, adversity of pain of suffering a wilderness of sorts that you will help them to get off the treadmill of anger the treadmill of reaction the treadmill of asking why and to just get off and just to pause and say, okay, God, I'm listening. Teach me. Change me. What do you see in my life that needs to be changed? And for the first time in a long time, help them to walk with you in a new, fresh way. Pray you do a real deep work in the heart. Thank you for the word of God, for how plain, how simple it is. But most of all, for how powerful it is that it can do surgery on our wounded, even wicked hearts. That you love us in spite of what we've done and who we are. We're grateful for that. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
hey, thanks for coming today. And I, I didn't know who would be here with all of this stuff going on. And I have a lot of respect for 